Well, hello, St. Louis and surrounding areas. You are listening to, usually I'll put in here another dollars and cents show, but no, that's not it. This is at your service, as always, when the Cardinals are not playing, at least during baseball season, at your service on Camo X. But the uh, somewhat familiar voice to some of you uh, is Dave Simons, the guy who has been hosting the Dollars and Cents show on the weekends, mainly on Sundays, for the past 26 years. And so uh, take the long way home. That's an appropriate start. I didn't even talk to anybody about that, but uh, that's an appropriate start because it has been a long time since I've been on the air and really coming a long way to do this show as I've been traveling all over, gosh, the Southeast. I've been through oh Tennessee and Kentucky and Georgia and South Carolina, and I've got uh, a few stories to tell upon my travels, but uh, today's or tonight is actually going to be just a, a, a normal type of at-your-service show. I am really not going to venture too much into traditional uh, investing, finance, economics, and some of you are saying, oh, thank goodness. Every time I hear that guy on Sundays, I turn the station. No, we're, we're going to get into the topics of the day. I love the chance when I get to do this. I have uh, filled in a couple of times during the week day um, and a couple of times here at night. And I love it. I'm telling you, if I retired completely from uh, being a financial advisor, and I guess I should give everybody my background for those of you who are not familiar with who I am, I am a certified financial planner. That's my day job. I work with uh, high net worth individuals and have been doing so for about 28 years. But in a former life, I was in the media. I actually attended the uh, journalism school, the esteemed journalism school at the University of Missouri, just down the highway in Columbia. Graduated there in 1984 and spent nearly a decade in that business. And, you know, we all have to start out somewhere, right? I started out my career in a very small town. Some of you are familiar with it especially for those of you who have traveled across across Highway 70 toward Colorado and beyond, you have inevitably gone through, perhaps even stayed, in Hayes, Kansas, out there in northwest Kansas. That was my first TV-slash-radio job. Indeed, it was. And I actually loved it. That was in 84 and through 1985. I spent a year. I'm, what, 22 years old at the time. And that really is a college town. They have Fort Hay State there, so I fit right in. And then you start moving up. Uh, went down to Tyler, Texas after that. I thought that maybe from Tyler, I man, I'm going to go to Dallas. Yes. You get into this business and you start thinking big, you know, and, and uh, this was on the television side. I'd gotten out of radio and I was purely a news reporter on TV. And so I went to work for a TV station in Tyler and then got hired. I was, oh gosh, I wasn't there very long, but I got a job offer to go to Wichita. So yeah, not quite the big time, not your top 20 market, but I thought, okay, I'm still young. This is late eighties. I'm what, 24 yeah, 1986, 24 years old. And as fate would have it, I always look to God for these things. I really do. And I'm thinking, this is a God thing as I look back. I didn't make any sense at the time. But I was given a beat. You cover a beat. 
They don't do so much. They don't do that as much anymore in television. They still do it in newspapers. You have kind of a beat that you follow. Back in the day when I was in television, you you were given beats, and I covered gov- local government and finance. Didn't know a lick about either one, but I was intrigued by it. And wouldn't you know it, I was working at the CBS affiliate in Wichita when the 1987 crash happened. It 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 blew me away. I I learned so much not not about the mechanics of investing as much as I did about the psychology of investors and financial advisors involved. I was I was really a student and still am today about the mental aspect, the emotional aspect of investing. I was hooked. Um, but as fate would have it again, my hometown of St. Louis came calling in 1989, and I came home. And I got a job at Channel 4. KMOX TV had just changed to KMOV TV. Those of you who have been around the block a few times, you know exactly what I mean. And so here I walk into the newsroom with all these people that I grew up with. And I was in high school and college, and I was going to Mizzou, and I, I thought, man, I want to be these people someday. So I walk in, there's Larry Connors, Julius Hunter. Um, oh, it's Zip Rizepa. Um, you name it, uh, Al Wyman, Robin Smith, the list goes on. Uh, Jim Bolin, I mean, Herb Humphreys, I, I could keep going on and on here. Now I'm their colleagues. You talk about a kid in a candy store. I wasn't there very long before a sports opening came up. And I've always been a sports nut, love sports. I had befriended Zip, still friends with Zip to this day. In fact, we just had lunch um, two weeks ago. And he said, would you like to be the weekend sports anchor? And I said, absolutely. And so I did that for a few years. Now, I'll stop the story there. Won't bore you with the details. But uh, I sort of, I grew disillusioned with it a little bit. I realized that my fate was not entirely in my hands. I didn't like that. And so I look for opportunities to maybe get into some sort of business on my own. And I had become an investor on my own. And I had started to look at business opportunities. And lo and behold, I got offered a job to become a financial advisor. And here we are nearly 28 years later. So I am, I've been uh, so fortunate and so blessed to marry my two passions together. Um, being on the media and in the media and also doing what I do for a living, and that is uh, manage money for folks as a certified financial planner. So right now I work for UBS Investments, which is a big Swiss bank, but many of you may recall the name of Payne Weber. Payne Weber, the former big brokerage house. Well, UBS bought Payne Weber way back in 2000. So I, I guess technically you could say that I work for the old Payne Weber, but it hasn't had that name for over two decades. So here we are um, talking to one another in, in a way that um, it, it just gives me a lot of delight. I'm, I'm telling you, as a, as a local St. Louis kid sitting in the chair of so many greats that came before me at CAMOX and getting to talk about the big topics of the day. Uh, Kevin Wheeler, uh, uh, just a fantastic job. Uh, Listen to the whole show, and I'm so pumped up about the Cardinals. You know, a couple of months ago, I got tickets to a game on September 28th. There was no reason for that particular day. There just wasn't. It was a Tuesday night, and 
I just thought at the time, you know, it's the last week of the season. The Cardinals aren't going anywhere. They're a 500 team. They're certainly not going to catch the Brewers and win the division. And they're so far out of the wild card. And you know what? They don't, they don't even deserve the wild card. So whatever. But I'm a big Cardinal fan. And, of course, I covered the team in the early 90s in the Joe Torrey days and um, have remained a steadfast fan ever since I was a little kid. So I still support them, thick and thin. And it was my last chance to see a game, so I bought these tickets on September 28th. Who knew that that particular game last Tuesday not only would be their 17th and final win of their record-breaking run, but it was also the night they clinched the wild card, so we got to see the on-field celebration and all that. I mean, you talk about living large. I, I... I guess things are all in alignment for me right now because that that was sweet. And seeing that record run and looking where the calendar was and where we're going September 28th, and I, when they had won 10 in a row, I still thought, well, there's no way they're going to win another six. They're not going to win again. So we have a winning streak when I show up, and yet they did. So I cannot wait until Wednesday night, even though I would prefer – Max Scherzer not pitching to us. But that's it. I'm not the sports guy anymore. Uh, haven't been for nearly 30 years. Kevin Wheeler is, and look forward to all the pregame coverage and then obviously the game itself uh, that night. All right, folks, we're going to um, start the show after a break here in just a second with some what I think is the most important topic that all of us should know about. Now, when you hear me set it up, I, I just hope that you don't think, oh, my gosh, it's already getting into the evening and this guy's going to put me to sleep talking about this very arcane and esoteric topic. But I'm telling you, it is important to each and every American. You will be affected, whether directly or indirectly, if this thing goes off the rails. For those of you who have gotten to know the show a little bit or read my weekly commentary, you know that I am not one given into hyperbole. I'm an even keel guy. I don't get involved in the hype of the day. I, I don't get into the, the, the headline clickbait type of rhetoric that so many others use, whether in the written word or on radio or on television. Not my style. Not at all. But I cannot understate this. I'm sorry, I cannot overstate this enough, that this whole conversation about the debt ceiling and reconciliation and all of these terms is the most important thing that's in front of us for the next couple of weeks. Now, again, before you start to hit that off button on the radio going, I'm so tired of this and, and I'm not even sure I completely understand it. When we come back, I am going to make this very understandable and very easy. What what really, when, when you hear the debt ceiling, what is that? When did that all start? Is that a recent thing? Has it been around for 200 years? I've got the, I've got the facts for you. How serious is all of this? If we don't increase the debt ceiling, what does that mean? Haven't we come here before? And the answer is, yeah, not, not quite. People are confusing this with a government shutdown. It's a completely different thing. That happened a couple of years ago. So let me go step by step through this a little bit. We'll talk about some of the political infighting. And you all know I do not personally get involved in the political debate. That's just not what I do, whether it's on the dollars and cents show or when I occasionally fill in. I, I don't intentionally try to do this, but I guess I'm an equal opportunity antagonist. 
I look at the Democrat side and say, here are things that they're discussing, and I think they're out of bounds here. Here are the Republicans. Yeah, they're probably uh, overextending themselves here, and they're not looking very good by doing this. So I make people probably upset on both sides. Again, I'm not trying to do that. I, uh, that's not my intent. What I like to do is just say, this is what's happening. These are the facts. This is what's being discussed. This is something that probably will happen or won't happen. And then I bring it home. But what does that really mean to me sitting at home? All this stuff in Washington, D.C., I'm, I'm just tuning it out. I don't want to know about it anymore. Well, this particular subject matter, we do want to know something about it. So sit back, grab whatever cold beverage you like, some popcorn, some brownies, ice cream, some kind of evening snack and we're going to dig into what's coming out of washington and its impact on all of us you are listening to at your service on camo x my name is dave simons and we will be right back welcome back everybody it is 8 23 in st louis dave simons along with you at your service yes i'm uh, out of the financial chair and um Broadening the horizons, and that includes being a bit of a history professor, which runs in the family. That's what my dad was, a college history professor for more than 40 years. And so some of that bled down to his oldest kid. That would be me. So pull up a chair. Here we go. Um, for the about the more than the first century of our existence as the United States of America, you know that Congress used to have to okay every instance of borrowing money and it was got to be a really big inconvenience every time that you wanted to borrow something to pay for some okay we got to get everyone to, together get a quorum let's vote on it so in 1917 104 years ago congress passed a debt ceiling and that basically told the treasury look you you can borrow money for any of our spending, but we're going to give ourselves a cap. We don't really trust ourselves. Actually, we don't trust those people over there on the other side of the aisle. And those people said, yeah, well, we don't trust you. So they held each other accountable and said, we're just going to put a cap. And for a long, long time, they never breached that debt ceiling or, or really ever got close. This has been a more recent generational problem as the factions have become very divisive politically, and we have, frankly, as a country as well. So that sort of gets us to today. Now, just so you know, again, a little bit about how Congress works. They, every year, they're supposed to pass a budget. And if you've been paying attention, that's not always the case. Sometimes they don't really pass a budget, at least on time, but they're supposed to. And that includes all their government spending as part of that budget. So you've got your social security outlays, of course, uh, salaries for all your federal workers, pay for defense, all that part of the budget. And how do they pay for it? We the people, right? Congress has taxing authority. So they tax all of us to pay for all of that spending. But for years, as we know, the government has been spending more than it takes in from taxes and all the other revenue and our federal deficit has, has pretty much been in place for decades outside of a couple of years in the late 90s. Um, but for the most part, we run an annual federal deficit, which adds to the overall federal debt, 
which continues to grow year in and year out and is now over 28 trillion and growing by the nanosecond. So the government needs to just continue to borrow money to pay out what Congress has already approved, right? So the Treasury and the Fed and all that like, looks at Congress and says, hey, guys, help us out here. You you keep increasing faster than inflation all of these bills and spending packages. And by the way, Social Security and all the other so-called government entitlements continue to go up because more and more people are going on those rolls and we don't have the money to pay it. We're responsible for dispersing the money out, but you Congress have to help us out. So that gets us to where we are now. We have hit the latest hit against the debt ceiling. Now, according to Janet Yellen, she has earmarked October 18th, two weeks from today, as the date that we would officially not have any money to pay for anything. No interest on our debt. We can't pay out Social Security. Uh, there are about 30 million families getting the expanded child tax credit. They're not going to get it. Uh, our military service members, yeah, sorry, you're not going to uh, get any paychecks. Our veterans, yeah, we're going to delay or stop payments to you. Basically, all federal workers, no more income. But here's the biggest thing of all. If that's not bad enough, if we run through, if Congress can, and I'm going to get to why Congress isn't capable, it seems, to just increase the debt ceiling again, like they always have many times, especially in the last 10, 20 years. This has happened with a lot of frequency. They keep running up against it, and sometimes they get to the last hour, but this seems to be the most contentious, and neither side is backing. But I'm going to explain the mechanics of that here in just a second. But here is the biggest problem, and this cannot be overstated. I'm telling you, if we run through October 18th and we can't pay our bills, this will live with us for decades, and that is the United States credit worthiness. We become no better than a lot of second and third world countries. Our ratings would be downgraded, which they were before in 2011, but this would that would look like a cakewalk compared to what would happen this time. So you'd have interest rates would spike up, all kinds of economic issues. And even if, even if they waited, even just two days later, Congress approved it and said, okay, see, we knew. I know we scared everybody for two days. The cat's out of the bag, horses out of the barn door. Use whatever cliche you want to use. But the rest of the world says, huh, the United States of America cannot be counted on anymore to be the reserve currency. It cannot be counted on to house all of our assets and debt and, and currency. We don't even want to buy their debt anymore. And we put a lot of our own currencies over into their banks because we've always felt their financial system is the tops in the world. Yeah, that country has issues. Every country does, but they're still the top of the world. Not after this. There are a lot of developed countries that have never defaulted on their debt. We technically would. I, I'm telling you folks, this is a huge deal. That's why I personally believe it's not going to get to that point. I, I've got to think as the Republicans are walking this plank out over the ocean and the Democrats in a side-by-side -side plank and they're walking to the end and they're looking at each other 
and they put a gun not to each other but to their own heads and going, who's going to shoot first? I mean, that's kind of what's happening, and I don't know if they realize that. So this is serious stuff. Now, again, this is not a government shutdown. I've, I've read some things. People are a little confused about that. That's what we've seen that happen before. In fact, it happened just a couple of years ago. That's simply when Congress doesn't approve a spending bill for the next fiscal year. So you don't have any, you, you can't send paychecks out to government workers. And so back in 2019, 800,000 federal employees were impacted by that government shutdown and they didn't get a paycheck for a little bit, but then they reached a deal and okay, everything was good. So folks, why then? Why can the Democrats and Republicans not come to an agreement with everything else going on and just say, look, we're bickering about a lot of things these days and that's not going away. We'll come back to the table. We'll try to work these things out. But this is, this is the future of our country not hyperbole here. It really is. We lose the full faith and credit of our currency. If we let this happen, it would be the first in our nation's history. This would ne- this has never happened before. So why are we here and why are we going into the 11th hour here? Well, stay with us. The history lesson continues, although we're bringing history to today. And I'll talk about what's happening in the Senate. This is not an issue that's happening in the House. That's a done deal. I'll explain why. And also what the, uh, the war of words has been and why the Republicans are not blinking. What are they holding on to? And why the Democrats are not blinking and what they are holding on to. And then we'll wrap up this topic and get to some other big issues of the day. I'm Dave Simons. You're listening to Camo X and we shall return. Welcome back, my friends. It is not, or I should say, 8.38 in St. Louis. Eh, if you're on the East Coast, it's 9.38, right? Dave Simon's along with you. This is at your service on KMOX. And yes, I am filling in just this evening. And for three hours, usually the Dollars and Cents show that I've hosted for all oh, these many years is two hours. So um, really had to use some extra gargle juice today to really make sure the throat it was in working golden order this evening so here we go uh and i'm always reminded again though how fast time goes when you're on the air you're just sitting there in in your zone um speaking and trying to get through as many things as you can you look up and think how did the two hours go by so hopefully the same thing could be said after three hours so we spent the majority of this first hour talking about this debt ceiling and we need to go to the connected and related issue of reconciliation so Again, a little bit of a history lesson here. When people are saying, well, I don't understand why we're even having this debate. Why are why are Republicans and Democrats not seeing the danger of not approving the debt ceiling and have our creditworthiness in jeopardy? Well, first of all, this is a Senate issue right now. You have to know that such a bill or legislation to increase the debt ceiling in the house of representatives you only need a simple majority well the democrats have that out of 435 voting seats and there are actually three vacant right now so technically there are 432 but the democrats have 218 of them so and they all want this to go ahead and they want to pass this and be done with it so the house is not the issue it's a done deal there 
The Senate, here's the tricky part, it's not a simple majority needed to increase the debt ceiling. It's 60 out of 100. And as you know, the Democrats only have 50 with the deciding vote, of course, by the VP, Kamala Harris. Um, But they need reconciliation to do that. They don't have 60. They would like to be able to do it with 50. And the Republicans say, "Uh, you know, you can do this. You can pass this on on your own. We don't want to be a part of this. We don't approve with all this extra spending. You guys are going to own the increase in the debt ceiling. So why don't you use this little rule over here called reconciliation, which you've used before, and you go ahead and use it, and you've got your 50 votes, and you can get this thing done. Well, what is reconciliation? It's basically, it's connected to something called the Byrd Rule, named, of course, by the late, after the late Senator Robert Byrd. Reconciliation allows a piece of legislation or a bill to be passed with just a simple majority in the Senate. But it can only be used when it's related to spending and budget items. It can't be used for a whole host of other issues and legislative items, only when it comes to spending. So the Democrats say, well, we don't even know if we can use reconciliation. We don't know if this would, is the the budget ceiling, does that even qualify? And the Republicans say, well, you know what, we're going to take it to the uh, Senate parliamentarian. That's what you do. You want to get a um, unbiased person known as the Senate parliamentarian who is not beholden to either party. In this case, it's a woman by the name of Elizabeth McDonough. And she's been in place, by the way, since 2012. So that shows you she's obviously done a pretty good job because she has served presidents under both banners, right? So she's there. She took a look at it. These Senate parliamentarians, they have to look at all procedural rules and laws and past history and constitutional law, and they they come up with a ruling that is binding. And she said, oh, yeah, Senate, in the case of the debt ceiling, yes, you can use reconciliation. That was the best news for the Republicans. It was horrible news for the Democrats. So that gets us to Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell, who does not want his party to own any part of increasing the debt ceiling, even though he knows it needs to be done to keep the U.S. from falling off the brink of to the brink of disaster. But he also wants it on record that his party did not approve all of this huge spending bills that the Democrats want and need the debt ceiling increased. They're going to use that as a cudgel over the heads of their Democratic opponents in future elections. So McConnell wrote a letter to President Biden. And by the way, those two are actually pretty good friends. They've served with each other in the Senate, as you probably know, for decades. McConnell sends a letter last week, I think it was Friday, to the president, and here, this is just part of it. McConnell wrote, I respectfully submit that it is time for you, President Biden, to engage directly with congressional Democrats on this matter. Your lieutenants in Congress must understand that you do not want your unified Democratic government to sleepwalk toward an unavoidable catastrophe when they have had nearly three months' notice to do their job." And here's the final line that I'll use in this one. This is the biggie. We have warned that since your party wishes to govern alone, it must handle the debt limit alone as well. That's a mic drop moment there. So we don't have any official word back 
from what President Biden might have responded to. However, a senior advisor to the White House did. His name, Jesse Lee, and he went to Twitter. Of course, that's what I guess we all do these days. I don't, but many people do. And he wrote on Twitter, all Senator McConnell has to do to remove his own political threat from the U.S. economy and American families is to stop filibustering. Democrats will do their jobs to address the debt limit since he refuses to. Just stop blocking the vote. America's been through enough. Let's do it today. Okay. So, my friends, that's where we are. Gave you a little bit of history lesson on what the debt ceiling really is, why it was even put into place in 1917, how it's really been more of an issue in just the last 10 to 20 years when it wasn't much of an issue for all those decades before, and what this reconciliation, and by the way, reconciliation has been used by both parties, by the way, as a cudgel to both. So Democrats used it back in 2010. They didn't have the majority. They had a majority, but not 60 votes, and they really needed Obamacare to pass. So parts or components of Obamacare, the Dems used in 2010, they used reconciliation to get it passed. Republicans, though, yes, they had a, a majority under Donald Trump, but they didn't have the 60 votes when the Trump tax cuts came to be in 2017. So they used reconciliation to have a simple majority to get the 51 votes they needed. So both sides have used it when it's politically expedient. No side is innocent here. And so this time, (laughs) Mitch McConnell says, you guys own all this extra spending. You own the increase that is needed for the debt ceiling. We're not going to be a party to it. We're not going to have our names to it. And you guys have to do it. And the Democrats are saying, "Uh, no, we need to be in this together. And October 18th being the deadline. So that's where we are, folks. Hopefully you know a little bit more about how the whole process works as you start to hear more news about it. Yes, it will impact all of us to some degree, including obviously our investments, 401ks, if not even uh, just our basic currency as well. All right, that's enough politics. That's enough of that kind of stuff. When I come back, um, we'll get it. Actually, what did I have next? Oh, no, I'm not done with politics. I'm going to take a break now and we're going to end the first hour talking about one more political thing. And it's more infighting, but within one party. And this party is really at each other's necks, which is not helping even the other issues that I've spent so far discussing. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. It's at your service. Dave Simons filling in tonight. Thank you, folks, for taking time out of your evening and uh, tuning in to KMOX this evening and uh, looking for that big Cardinals matchup against the Dodgers on Wednesday. But for at least the next couple of hours, I hold the mic. And so we've got a lot of things to talk about in just the last few minutes here. You know, both parties, if you follow politics, even just a little bit, you know, both parties are kind of fighting within themselves right now. The Republicans, it's more about one guy, Donald Trump, and what side do you land on? Are you a Trumper? Are you an anti-Trumper? And depending on when you're up for re-election, the other side's going to use that against you, or other people are going to line up behind you. It really has become kind of a divisive 
topic within that party. On the Democrat side, it's really not a person as much as it is sort of a more of an ideology. It's it's the progressives. And I think people underestimate that group and the power that they are wielding. This is not a small group. You know, there are 220 Democrats in the U.S. House. Do you know 95 of them belong to the Progressive Caucus? We're not talking eight or ten or thirty. You're, you're talking not. You're talking forty-three percent of the Democrats in the U.S. House are are members of the Progressive Caucus. There's only one senator. There are fifty Democrat senators, and only one is part of the Progressive Caucus. Um, and I think you could all guess who that is: Bernie Sanders. But forty-three percent over in the House, and that is the group that is just driving. The Democratic leadership absolutely bananas from Joe Biden to uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, among others. And they're really battling over this infrastructure bill, which, by the way, the Senate's already said we're good. We even have Republicans are backing this bill. They're not backing the second so-called reconciliation bill. There's that word again. Um, That's the three point five trillion. But the Progressive Caucus wants both of those bills together not separated. And that really comes from the leader of that progressive caucus, uh, Pramila Jayapal of Washington State. And she says, no, remember, you, you know who our leader is, right? It's the president, Joe Biden. Remember everything he campaigned on, right? We we, we do all remember that, right? It was um, extending family credit it is extending, I'm sorry, child tax credit. It's it's making uh, junior college free. It's all kinds of uh, climate change initiatives. And so we are taking all these promises and putting them together and passing them all at once. What most reasonable pe- people say, well, you don't take your candidates every promise and put it into one bill. But that's what the Progressive Caucus is wanting to do. And that's why the Democrats are having problems, even getting the initial infrastructure bill passed, one and a half trillion that Republicans are also supporting. So there you go, folks. That's the first hour. It's very political in nature. I'm going to go off into some other avenues, including the whole Facebook controversy. So stay with us.